Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 32. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, Jeevana Heyman sits down with Theo Wildcroft. Dr. Theo Wildcroft is a teacher, trainer, writer, and scholar working for a more sustainable relationship between our many selves, the communities that hold us, and the world that nourishes us. Her research considers the democratization of yoga and the many different ways yoga communities are responding to concerns about safety in practice. In this episode, Jeevana and Theo discuss post-lineage yoga, the backlash against her work, and her new book, Post-Lineage Yoga, From Guru to Me Too. Here we go. Hi, everybody. This is Jeevana. Uh, my pronouns are he and him. And I'm so excited today to have uh, Theo Wildcroft as a guest on our podcast, um, talking about her new book. Hi, Theo. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm getting cold. Uh, just warming up from uh, coming, coming in. But uh, I kind of, I realize it's probably nowhere near as cold where you are. <laughs> um, no, I'm in California. It's not oh, that cold. I... Yeah. Where are you? You're you're outside I'm, of London, is that right? Yeah, yeah, southwest of the UK. So, I, I, yeah, it's that time of uh, year where you you end up walking the dog um, in the dark in the morning and in the dark in the evening. So, <laughs> yeah, looking forward to the light returning a little bit, basically. Yeah, right. Um, so, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself because I didn't really give an intro. Um, oh yeah, you do so many things. <laughs> I know. I'm, 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 one of my one of my theories this year is to maybe try and do fewer of them, <laughs> just uh-huh. maybe concentrate a little bit. We'll see. I'm, it's partly because I get asked to do things, and, and and I have trouble saying no if I think they're going to be fun. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I guess more most uh, mostly I'm I'm known uh, for the research that I do into contemporary yoga. Uh, so I completed a PhD, well, nearly 18 months ago now, I think, maybe even a little longer. It takes a long mm-hmm. time to get them to get them finished. Mm. Um, wow. and I know our, our excuse for me coming here today is because the kind of book of the thesis has just been published. Um, but yeah, also, I'm excited about that. Yeah, well, me too. I, but also I think that uh, a lot of people as first kind of realize I am also a yoga teacher and I, I increasingly a yoga teacher trainer, um, kind of working with yoga teachers. Um, and one of the ways we know each other is, of course, because uh, one of my specialisms um, as a teacher and teacher trainer is accessibility and disability. So um, that's yeah. kind of a side of things that so far doesn't come into the academic work so much, but um, kind mm. of informs it in, in, I think, really interesting ways. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I remember um, following you for a while. I was amazed with your work and um, excited by what you were sharing. I remember mm-hmm. on social media a few years back, and then uh, you were a presenter at our European yeah, Accessible yeah. Yoga Conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which we have to say the only now, don't we? Because the there's only. Been, there's, yeah. been, there's, been, there's been, you know, no, um, everything's gone virtual this year. Um, so, yeah. Kind of, it's really wild. It's an inter- it's been interesting timing from that point of view. I think for me and for a lot of people, um, I had so many things planned for 2020 in terms of um, kind of opportunities and chances to travel and to meet people and to do things. Um, that kind of you know all of that is has been up in the air. Um, I guess none of us know when we'll yeah. be back together, right? That's kind of interesting. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. But it's still fun to have these conversations. So you know these. This is how this podcast is one of the things that came out of um, this 2020, you know, where we couldn't meet in person. So this is a way that I, you know, Amber and I have been working on this together and trying to reach out to people that we're wanting to speak with and share about their work. And I'm excited to share about your new book, new book, yeah. uh, Post Lineage Yoga from Guru to Me Too. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> and um, I, you know, it is. It's quite academic, actually. And like you just said, it was. It's. It was the. 
this came out of your thesis or is it actually the thesis? Well, it's a, it is a really, it's a kind of a tricky one because the thesis is a very academic thing and that's not really about, uh, so the answer is no, it's, it's not my thesis because the thesis has extra stuff in that the book doesn't need because you have to kind of prove, it's, it's like when you're doing a maths, you know what I mean? You have to show your workings <laughs> you have to prove what you've done. Yeah. So it doesn't have that stuff in, it's tidied up from that point of view. Um, and in theory, it's written to be, accessible in terms of the language but then you know that but the ideas are still quite pretty intense um, and i think that's for two reasons i think first of all it covers a lot of different disciplines so even if you kind of you know you get the community learning theory aspect for example you also have to understand the kind of philosophy of consciousness aspects of things and different things and so on and so forth uh, come together so you kind of have to have a, a real, you know, it, 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 take, it covers a lot of ground from that point of view, which is a lot of ideas to take in if you're not used to it. And I think the other thing is that um, it's really new material. Like nobody's looked at this before. And my supervisors mm. kept saying, you could just do one aspect of this. <laughs> <laughs> but I really wanted to make the link. This was the key for me. I wanted to make the link with somehow or start to make a link between like what happens in your intention when you step onto a yoga mat, right? Mm. Between how that, how that links to what you actually do, how that links to what you actually teach, and how that links to the yoga culture as a whole. So I wanted to create, I wanted to make that one long line. <laughs> so it was a really deep dive. And that's why the scope of it, as you might have noticed, is quite small. It's like one community. Yeah. Sit so so let's just say that again so you're, you're saying that in order to to really yeah. look at something that hasn't been explored and is actually incredibly yeah. kind of diverse in yeah. its in in the way that it's been influenced but also yeah. in, in its practice too is that i mean yeah that you had yeah. to really define the focus very narrowly yeah so the weird thing is yeah my actual scope mm -hmm. in terms of data was really small because I needed yeah. to look at one coherent community, right? Like how does this community share knowledge? How does this community develop kind of a common language, if you like, a common repertoire for what yoga practice is? Mm -hmm. And how do they figure that out together? But but this is a much larger phenomena. So, I mean, maybe you could talk, can you explain what post-lineage yoga is maybe? That would help. Yeah, um, well, this was yeah. that's what's really cool. <laughs> that's what's really cool about it. Because, you know, I set out to describe uh, this 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 one small community, and I spent this like year. I had this year long process with my supervision team, um, Gwilym Beckelig and Graham Harvey. Um, both of whom were amazing, essentially co academic coaches, right? And they spent a lot of time going, well, what is it? What is it that's specific about this um, that that you're not seeing elsewhere? And it wasn't mm -hmm. it wasn't that I wasn't seeing it elsewhere. It's that I you know that hadn't been described before. Um, so they were saying, oh, well, you mean it's anti-lineage? And I was going, no, it's completely not anti-lineage. There are lineage people there. They're just hanging out with people from other lineages. And, and the more I did it, the more um, I was able to refine what it was that was special or understudied about it. And what was understudied is that you get people in that community who um, still have really strong links to their lineage, to their teachers. You've got people in that community who had really horrible experiences within within lineages, a real crisis of faith moments and so on. And you've got people who'd come from, you know, kind of really quite um, modern schools that maybe people wouldn't consider to be lineages at all, more kind of brand systems and so on. But the point was that all those people were coming together to share knowledge mm -hmm. with each other. That's the point. And I guess from that point of view, post-lineage is like, it's almost a personal moment. There's a moment for a lot of yoga teachers where the training that you originally receive, no matter how strong your affection for your teacher, no matter how much that means to you, it's not enough on its own. And you start to kind of want to fact check and cross check and, 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 and collaborate outside mm -hmm. of that with people, not other hierarchies, but people who are on the same level with you. And what's interesting about that is we see that formation of these grassroots kind of informal sharing of, 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 of knowledge. We see that in all sorts of community health professions and beyond it, like community learning. This is how it works. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because it allows, it allows for knowledge to be really resilient, really diverse and ever evolving. So it's exactly the opposite to kind of trying to translate the Vedas through a thousand years or more of history, right? Where you want it to stay the same forever. That is the point. This yeah. is a different way of working because it has to, it has to be accessible. It has to be dynamic. It has to change precisely because not everyone has the same body. Not everyone has the same neurology and not everyone's living in the same culture. Not everyone has the same experiences. Yeah, well, it reminds me of accessible yoga. I mean, in, in that community completely. that we've built, yeah. Completely, and that was the interesting thing is that in the course of the research, I started talking to people I already knew, people like you, people like, you know, from, from you know, around the world that we come into contact in other ways. Um, and, and, and everyone I talked to was like, but, but we do the same. Like we might not all be gathering in fields every summer in, you know, the Southwest of the UK, but, but we share knowledge in the same way. This feels really familiar to me. And that really helped me then to refine, well, what are the processes involved? Like, how do you balance the nature of authority? How do you, you know, how do you figure out what you're going to do every time you come to the mat? You know, all of these things. And then so, those processes become more universal. And so so post-lineage yoga, it, it's, it's about this kind of community learning based model of yoga yeah. like we've seen maybe in a, i think of um in our community in accessible yoga and i'm sure all over the world where yes. people get yeah. together with their friends and maybe they have they've adapted the practice for their own body or for their students yeah uh, and that's shifted what they're doing um, and they're evolving in the light of ongoing research coming uh -huh. up you know, because, you know, you can you can absolutely uh, you can be an Iyengar yoga teacher and love the Iyengar yoga practice. But you still you might want to understand the like neuroscience that Stephen Porges is coming out of rather right. than referring everything back to light on yoga that was written in yeah. 1963. Right. Yeah. It, we fix these like the, we fix these things in time, um, whereas we need to allow them to evolve. And and the problem with a lot of not not all, but a problem with a lot of lineage structures is they become echo chambers. Like they tend to be, you tend to have lineages that kind of go, what they're doing over there is just fine, but our thing is completely self-contained. Yeah. <laughs> and I and don't better and better. Yeah, well, that's always the hidden <laughs> subtext, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I love that because like this to me feels much more like aligned with the tradition of yoga. I mean, this is what I think was yeah. happening in the past, right? Well, that's where it gets speculative. But I, I think that we forget how much our understandings of lineage in the 20th century are marked by those modern lineages and those lineages, those those big transnational lineages with kind of you know, millions of followers and lots and lots of money and really kind mm. of, you know, systems that had to be really codified because they were being, you know, they were turning out, they had they had to turn out quality and quantity, right? And you can only do that if you standardize, right? So the mm -hmm. system, the system is the same, you know, Guruji did it this way 50 years ago, and we're never going to change it. But those, mm -hmm. those lineages, those systems are as much a product of modernity and branding and marketing as anything else. So uh, one of the cool things that I that I know from uh, not many people pick this out of Mark Singleton's work, but I love it is that there's, there's, there's a relationship between the lineages that made it out of India and the development of photography. Like mm. if you had a lineage, if your practice, particularly your asana practice, obviously, mm. which you know, I know is by no means the, the only part of yoga, but I think this is kind of key to that, mm. is that if your practice could be turned into a series of static photographs, <laughs> mm. then wow. it's, easier to, it's easier to share it, right? Because you can you can do it as a part work, you can do it as a you know a manual. Like how many manuals do we still all have on our shelves with kind of right. photograph after photograph after photograph? Mm -hmm. So then you know we do that, and then and then you know actual practitioners say, well, it's about so much more than that because it's about the breath work, it's about the meditation, it's about the inner experience, it's about the moving practices, it's about you know savor, it's about all those things. Yes, but those things are much harder to photograph. <laughs> so, so the media has massively yeah. impacted um you know the content that was able even um to, to spread around the world and of course when that goes into the commercial sphere it's not just about what you're able to photograph it's about what looks good on instagram right 
<laughs> but but post lineage yoga is not anti lineage because I I know that no. you've been criticized for that and yeah. it's not really true. It's, yeah. No, well, apart from okay, here's here, one of the things I tend to say to people is it's really fascinating to me that um you know th okay this is a way of working within yoga that I works personally for me but mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do this research if I was only invested in it like I was curious about it rather than rather than being evangelical about it. And, you know, you don't turn around to a geologist and say, how, you know, you're responsible for earthquakes. Right? I, I'm just describing <laughs> a phenomenon here. Right? <laughs> so, so, you know, as a researcher, you know, I dared to, to, to do this. I, I dared to kind of put a label on something that exists. And, and it's, it, it's been fascinating to see how that's triggered some people into, into, into kind of lashing out but i think a lot of the people who've lashed out are so invested in the power dynamics yeah. um, of those major systems like even even the suggestion that it's possible to have an authentic form of practice outside of that is crazy to them and mm -hmm. let's be clear again i'm not saying this is a more or equally authentic kind of yoga that's not my job. My job is not to say that it's authentic. My job is to say, how are the people doing it understanding authenticity, right? Mm -hmm. There's a difference. I don't, I don't get yeah. to make that pronouncement. Like I might have my own prejudices, <laughs> but I know uh -huh. they're prejudices, right? And it's interesting in, in the course of the research, like I had to confront those prejudices because mm. I had to, I had to go to camps and festivals and things, and I had to do all of the like for the first time. I had to do all of the yoga that was on the schedule, right? Because because otherwise, I'm not effectively <laughs> researching it. And I would like sit in sessions and go because I knew it wasn't like it's not it's not my kind of yoga. I had to do all the stuff I would normally stay away from, um, and try and figure out how is this working for the people involved? Like, what's it doing for them? <laughs> what does that tell yeah. me about them? Um, so yeah, that that's the irony. I had to put all of that on one side. I'm well, that's it's amazing about this book is the research, like the mm. fact that it's not. This is a research project, and mm. you know, I it's not what I expected. I expected more of like a description of this kind of community based learning, um, and and really, yeah. you've done something else, which is you. I think you've elevated it by, well, by just researching it as a as something that's worth your attention and worth the attention of other yoga researchers. So I just am so appreciative I, I of that. So. Yeah, yeah. And trying to figure out like a proper analysis of how this stuff works. Like, how do you actually figure out what to do um, yeah. in your practice? How do you figure out what to teach well, if you don't have I, one source of authority, right? I wanted to ask you about that. But before I do, I just had a, a thought, you know, I there's something you mentioned in here that really caught my eye. Um, actually, it's in I was going to read you a quote from your own book, but it's just this one line. It says they reject the still common practice of attributing any harm caused within the practice to defects in the practitioner. Yeah. And I just, that really <laughs> got my attention because I think a lot about, um, yeah. I think probably your work with people with disabilities and also with accessible mm -hmm. yoga is really trying to kind of reframe the way we teach and the kind of the top down mentality and the yeah. idea of the student not having knowledge or you know what i mean and the teacher yeah. having that knowledge and yeah yeah i i that's that got me excited to see that in there because i think a lot i'm just my personal opinion is that like post-lineage yoga isn't just about the way we're doing it but also um kind of a, there's an intuitive part mm -hmm. to it or a i don't know a power sharing well, I think uh, if you, yeah, I think, I think, I think hopefully, <laughs> in my opinion, hopefully, and that's me speaking as a teacher rather than a researcher, I think hopefully that kind of horizontal power sharing amongst teachers starts to feed into the relationship with students. Like it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. to then be really autocratic within the classroom for me. Um, so that often those things go together and that's that's the joy that I find I'm with you that's the joy that I find in it it's, it's always been yeah. um, you know a more comfortable place for me to be and you know I think when you particularly when you work with people who are like right on the edges not just of the yo yoga culture but on mm. the edges of society as a whole that's when the work gets really exciting not because you're going there to kind of save people or anything like that but because you're you're right on the edges of what people think is acceptable in terms of a way of being human mm -hmm. and what does that mean what is it what does it feel like you know I, I you know and and one of the things that i say when i'm when i'm training teachers in this is that 
in 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 the in the space in the classroom or you know whatever space that you're teaching yoga in all behavior is communication all of it mm. so if you're working with someone who has profound behavioral difficulty emotional kind of self-regulation issues for example i mean i've worked with kids who've bitten me i've worked with kids who pulled my hair i've worked with kids who you know screamed at me i've worked with all sorts of behaviors and i'm not a saint in those spaces and like and and, and it's challenging but I've always come back to the fact that what they're trying to do is communicate something. Mm -hmm. right? And, and so if you've got a student who, like, if, if you think that everyone in the world should be able to lie down and close their eyes for yoga nidra and you have a student that can't, like, there's something you're not understanding uh -huh. about humanity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. That's a beautiful example. And exactly what I was thinking. Um, and exactly, yeah. I mean, that to me goes right along with this idea of lineage where I think I could be wrong, but generally it feels like in the lineages, it's where we're taught what's right and wrong. You know, this yeah. is alignment and that's not alignment in, in this asana. And, you know, like this is correct and that's not incorrect. And I feel like that kind of those rules t always to me felt more, I don't know, like, like not yoga. They felt more like capitalist Western concepts of right and wrong and not aligned with the philosophy. Well, I, I, found in the teachings. Yeah. I think I think that's really interesting. I mean, you know, I would say that I think like a lot of very hypermobile, relatively dissociated young women who found their way to yoga. I mean, this is a common picture in my experience. You know, I, the structure was really helpful to begin with for me mm -hmm. because I had no idea what was safe to do with my body. It's like, you want me to put a foot mm -hmm. behind my head? Yeah, let's try. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I still have this, you know, when, when teachers do that thing where they go, uh, take it until, you know, take it until you feel, you know, until you feel it's uncomfortable. It's like that, don't, you know. That's still not a particularly useful thing to say to me because I'm not really, I like, I have different kinds of sensation, but like figuring out which ones are bad and which are good, I, I don't know. So, you know, so I need, so something that was really structured to begin with felt very safe for the first few years. And I'm, I'm fascinated by how, how often that seems to be the case for a lot of practitioners. I'm like, you know, it's, it's kind of like the training wheels start part of the practice, right? You need you need to be told what to do to begin with to a certain extent. Uh -huh. But I'm always fascinated by, um, I think, uh, I think oh, it was actually, interestingly, Jay Brown once came. <laughs> I mean, he was once passing through um, here uh, locally and he kind of, he kind of, dropped into my place, recorded a podcast, and he dropped into one of my classes. And he said one of the things that surprised him the most about the way that I teach as a yoga teacher is I don't teach beginners like they're beginners. Like mm -hmm. right from the very first time you come into to, to, to learning yoga with me, I want to be getting you to, under, to start to understand what's going on in your body from the beginning. Yeah. Right, getting that self awareness. Like, what yeah. does what does no feel like? What does what does yes feel like? What is, you know, and and so I'm I'm expecting that from students right from the beginning. Brilliant. That's brilliant. I mean, I I have a new campaign going on in my life, which is to get rid of the whole idea of beginning and advanced in yoga, oh, God, yes. and to just re you know, to reassess what that is and and the way we identify classes and levels and trainings and all those things. I think yeah. it's all really messed up and not like I said, not in alignment with the philosophy. So I love that, yeah. and it makes yeah, total yeah. sense. I mean, you're teaching yeah. yoga; you're just sharing with whoever's there. Yeah, and you're figuring yeah. it out together. And you know, I have one, I have one general yoga class left that I that is very precious to me. And I don't, I don't allow people to join it unless they're actually local, even though it's online. I'm like, I'm really precious <laughs> about it. I, and it's a group of kind of you know retired B and B owners and farmer farmers and things that just just, just come. Normally, they'd come to the to the village hall um, in the next village over from 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 here. Um, and we've been working together for years, and and they're incredibly advanced practitioners because they you know they 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 have such a good understanding of what doesn't doesn't work for them which yeah. is so much more important than you know what they can do with their foot right <laughs> yeah exactly um, exactly so, that's know, beautiful that, that that's what it's about and and, and I, mean, I know that working with disabled populations is is like that and, and it gets really exciting when you have someone whose neurology or whose body is very different to yours right because you learn so much when yeah. they do that because you're like, oh, that's what the world is like for you. Uh -huh. Oh, how would that be? What What does that feel like? 
Yeah, I love that. It's like, I think of it as creativity and mm. collaboration. Those are the words I use a lot, but it's, yeah. I love that. It's like learning from the students. You know, yeah. I think many teachers feel like they have to be an expert. They have to be mastered, a master of the material, but it's just not mm. true. You have to have an open heart and just be willing to um, explore. It's like, I'm going on this, we're going to go on this exploration together. What, what will we teach each other? So. But also, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I have, I have to admit that it took me way too long to do this, like in my own, um, in my own professional career as a yoga teacher. But like mm -hmm. my background before yoga teaching was in community learning. I was a youth worker and community worker, and I had a, you know, have a master's in, a master's in that, a, a master's in essentially in informal learning. How does informal learning work? Um, mm -hmm. When you create, you know, spaces, uh, uh, communities of care and communities of change and communities of education, and um, what does it look like? And and it, it's, it's a very different role when you're holding space and you're holding the boundaries and you're helping to keep everyone safe. And then you're putting the tools into that space in a way that's really democratic. You're saying here is some, you know, here is here is some stuff that I want to share with you that we can explore. But really, my job isn't to teach you in the sense of where of the way formal learning works. My job is to hold the space in a way that you can explore and that feels safe for you. Um, and that you can learn from each other. Um, and that, yeah. that's, you know, that that's well known in all sorts of informal learning systems and informal learning theory. Um, and there's this beautiful phrase of rhizomatic learning communities. And mm. it's just, yeah, it's just kind of cool. It's kind of cool ways of thinking about how learning happens outside of those formal structures. Yeah. Um, and it took well, me I, way I, too long to apply those to my own yoga <laughs> teaching, never mind anyone else's. <laughs> yeah. No, I think for me, it was uh, my background is in activism as an AIDS activist. Mm. And I remember being in, um, endless meetings where we had to use consensus as yeah. a decision-making process <laughs> and you know it's funny because i i don't really i don't realize how valuable that was like literally spending hours and hours and hours working on consensus means that you yeah. actually learn how to listen to other people and it's yeah. very it's an incredible process consensus making it's not yeah. Yeah. democratic it's not a democratic process it no. means everyone has to agree and it's just yeah. it's powerful way of um yeah like opening your mind to, wow, I really need to understand yeah. your perspective. And then I went into yoga and I was like, what? what, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just, yeah. And it's not comfortable, right? Like it's horrible <laughs> in many ways, you know, it's yeah. beautiful and it's valuable. And like, I have the same feeling around uh, re reflexivity. I, I, for my masters, I had to do a lot of reflexive journaling um, where you're kind of, you're, you're kind of thinking about theory and practice and, and figuring out what went wrong and what you could do differently. And, you know, I, I now highly recommend kind of that kind of work journaling uh, to anyone who's developing in any way at the same time as knowing it was the worst part of my master's i hated uh -huh. doing it. it's horrible it's a bit like therapy you know it's like the results yeah. are great but the process isn't always nice <laughs> so can we i want to go back to your book for a minute because you're um one of the yeah. things that i really was amazed by is this um I don't know what you even call it. The way that you've described the practice, this kind of a, a, notation, a notation, system. Yeah, notation <laughs> system that you created. Yeah, by accident. By accident. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think that I, there's um, there's there's a, there's a whole research project uh, out there that, that would be fascinating that that could look at the ways in which like yoga teachers record their own practice and like write out their class plans and so on. Um, and I think that it's something that not everyone like most most teaching teacher training programs don't even teach you how to do that, and yet we all kind of get used to drawing on little stick figures or whatever else it might be. Um, and, you know, when you're, and one of the things that they like in my own development that was really interesting is when I started to do more like ongoing movements rather than, rather than, rather than either static poses or vinyasas that were a series of static poses. Um, when I was doing more kind of Pawanamaktasana movements and things like that, it was like, well, how do I actually do that as a stick figure? And you start getting like lots of little arrows and things like that. And there's a history within uh, within dance studies of using various different kinds of notation structures and, and as well. Like like how do you? Because otherwise, like writing it out would take forever, right? So with my with my data, just looking at the case studies alone, that's six people's case studies, uh, six different practices. That's like hours of video. Um, mm. That's if I was to write all that out, describe everything that's happening in words, that's 
that's literally thousands of pages. You just you just can't do it. So one of the struggles with uh, with researching uh, lived practices of all different kinds is how do you represent that data and how do you represent that data to yourself so you can analyze it and how do you represent it to other people? So I started with my stick figures because I'm a yoga teacher, so I started drawing the stick figures. <laughs> I'm, and also because, you know, some of those dance notation systems are amazing, but you like you have to go on a, on a month-long training course to even to be able to understand them. Wow. <laughs> really obscure, like little abstract symbols. Um, and I wanted I wanted other people to be able to understand what I what I'd done, right? I didn't just want me to to be able to understand it. Mm -hmm. And I started to do the stick figures and then then but there were all sorts of other aspects of the practice I wanted to record and I wanted to I wanted to compare like when people were using breathing practices of different kinds, what you know, where people were in this, what kind of spaces people were working in, people were practicing in, all of these other aspects that were really important. And before I knew it, I had this kind of notation system that I was using myself um, to be able to compare these different practices and somewhere I still have them all printed out it's just like mm. they're like you know, 50 pages even even that still 50 pages long per uh, per practice it was it was great fun to do um, and I started sharing them with my supervisors of course so that they could understand what I was saying I was saying look can you see how that's interesting because you this 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 and this and it's a way of being able to compare different aspects of the practice um, that are really fundamental to us as practitioners and teachers. So like not just because it's more than just a shape, right? It's how you're breathing in that shape, but also mm -hmm. what's your intention whilst you're in that shape? What's the kind of quality of presence you've got whilst you're in that shape? All those different things. And then my supervisors started saying, this is you, you realize you could you could use this system in the thesis itself. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it just makes sense for you to represent the data. So I had to, to clean, like clean it up a bit and, and yeah. like devise a little key for it. And then and then I started showing it to people and my supervisors went, no. <laughs> and me being naive, young, you know, not that young, but, you know, young as a, as a researcher, <laughs> I was like, why? And they said, because someone will steal it. <laughs> so and I went, oh, OK. Um, so we've been kind of embargoing it uh, until the book came out. Um, mm -hmm. kind of the geeky bit of me is, is really excited to see how whether other researchers would, would play with it um, and, mm -hmm. and, and use it. I hope that I hope that kind of you know it's understandable. I wouldn't say it's necessarily easy, but it gives you a sense, I hope, of what people are actually doing, which I think it's the bit that I would want to have as a yoga practitioner. Like I want to know what mm -hmm. people are actually doing. Right? Yeah, yeah, without having to watch an hour-long video of someone yeah. practicing, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's exciting because I think it's like part of it feels like a way, a, like a historical record, um, yeah. you know, and also a way where we can. Um, I don't. I don't want to make it like a, a system. We don't want to create new systems necessarily, but it's like a way to record what's being done right now so that all this learning can be saved and we can share with each other even more you know what i mean so i feel like it that's what made it, me think yeah that. yeah i think it's, it's i think you're right i think i you know i i, I mean I, i've created it hopefully to be as modular as possible so people can just use the bits that make sense for them like use the lines that make sense if if, if the line doesn't make sense swap it for a different mm -hmm. one but mm -hmm. um but i my hope is that what it really starts to become is a common language like how how can we possibly share practice yeah. in any meaningful way if we don't have a common language for that practice? Right. right. Um, and I should I should say like it's different than um, for people who haven't seen the book. I mean, it's different than the normal stick figures. What you're what you're doing is you're drawing lines that relate to um, not just the body's position, but also the the part of the breath cycle. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether yeah. like uh, and then what do you like intention? I mean, I like is yeah. energy moving up what is it um yeah there's there's a whole thing yeah there's a whole thing about intention and uh movement quality so because i mean i didn't just rely on the practices like we would practice together and then i would interview them about the practice so i would get a sense of what it was that mm -hmm. they were doing what they were intending to do like what is the point of this movement like is it to free your shoulder up or is it a movement of you know is it is it, is it, is it a ritualized movement of 
bowing to a particular deity like the same movement the same shape can have very very different qualities depending on what your intention is but also there's that there's that intimacy of, of the practice to breath that you think is so important within yoga not just formal pranayama but you know are you is your breath are you moving like in time with the breath so are you not like lifting the arms on the inhale and coming down on the exhale that kind of thing um but like where you are in space as well so um one of the practices i think is really i mean i love all of the practices in the book i think they're all fascinating in different ways but my friend Shivani Mata's practice is interesting because in some ways it's the least asana focused. It's mostly a puja, right? That's her main practice. And she's her, what she teach, a lot of what she teaches is, is uh, and shares with the world is bhakti, right? So, mm -hmm. um, but if you look at her orientation in space, like what she's doing, because she's moving around her room and she's, you know, she's anointing different deities with different oils and so on. And she's kind of, you know, um, she's uh, kind of cleansing the space in different ways. She actually moves around the space much more than and interacts with that space much more than other practitioners. Uh, because she's not like on a yoga mat she's moving all over i see yeah. i see that yeah, she's not even on a mat and yeah. she's doing and she's doing stuff she's doing stuff with the different things in the room right like her perfume oils are over here her incense is over there her candles mm -hmm. are over here and so on so there's an interactivity to the world which is and mudra right there's a lot yeah. like she's using mudra oh massive amounts of mudra yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's really interesting. Like there's a quality to the practice that's different. Um, like in Uma's practice, it's like when you know that behind her are these massive yantras that her partner, her, her husband, Nilipta painted. So her husband, Nilipta painted these three foot square yantras of 12 wisdom goddesses from the tantric uh, tradition. And they're, they're like they're on the wall of this converted garage that they, that, that, that they teach in and she practices in. So like she's literally standing, these are the nine yantras of wisdom goddesses just dominate mm -hmm. the space behind her. And that's that's a very different feel to your kind of what you might think of as a yoga studio, you know, your kind of classic bleached wall, mm -hmm. bleached, bleached wood floors and, and white walls, right? That's It's a very different feel. So it matters, it matters where people are, what they're doing. Um, you know, it, it matters the, 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 even the things like we tend to think of this as being a more than material practice, but the, but the things we use within the practice also have meaning, right? This is, you know, this mat that you've laid out at workshop after workshop for 10 years or, um, you know, or that, you know, that mala uh, bead that you got, you know, that's that, that, that mala that you got on holiday in India or whatever else it might be. You know, these things are also important, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and can you talk a bit about the um, the further, like the implications this book can have? Then you think, or potentially? Um, yeah. Where does for, it go? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah. a gift. I mean, I do say that. I, I did say that. I, I see. I see the research practice. The the. I see the research as a practice in in, in a yogic sense, and it's an act of seva. It's a, it's it's a. It's an, an, an offering um, to academic understandings of contemporary yoga, and it's an offering back to the culture of yoga. Uh, it's kind of hopefully a kind of a mirror that says, this is, this is some of what you've been doing that you may not have realized you're doing um, in the hope that uh, the practice becomes more understandable and that people are able to understand themselves better, which is what any yoga teaching seeks to do, right? In a way, is mm. they... Uh, yeah. it is you know how, how does this help you be more who you want to be um so i think hopefully from from an academic point of view who knows i mean um the difficult the the, the, the kind of elephant in the room is is the situation at the moment with 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 covid means that um there's very you know this 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 whole research project is also a love song to being together in person in many ways Mm. what does it mean like one of my primary questions is what does it mean to practice yoga side by side because that is in many ways unique that's one of the gifts of the modern era that we don't always recognize is the very fact of people practicing yoga side by side in various different forms of relationship um and here we are in a situation where that is increasingly you know that has become very very difficult so i know for example you know i know of phd research projects that are they're in real trouble because how how 
can you do the work? Like, how can you get into spaces with people to, to, to watch them move? All of those festivals and camps from which um, a lot of the data is drawn, they were there. None of those happened in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so part of the next question is, well, how, you know, how does this work um, online? Yeah. And, you know, if you talk about things being mediated, you know, we talked about modern yoga being mediated by the by the kind of mediums that we were using. Um, the fact that to a great extent, we many of us are forming communities in social in social media spaces mm-hmm. means that that part of our networking, part of that, that that resilience is being in some ways twisted or changed by Facebook and Instagram, yeah. and Twitter and like how can we find ways to come together that are more meaningful mm-hmm. um, and that aren't kind of in those kind of crazy adrenaline-fueled kind of echo chambers, <laughs> like, you know, if and down. Well, I, with if I could, yeah, I mean, if I could share my, you know, experience mm-hmm. I had this last year was that we had, we moved our in-person conference online and mm-hmm. that was very successful in some ways, but the part that was most exciting to me was we had these community networking sessions, which were mm-hmm. rather than like just ed- being educational opportunities where you have someone giving a talk, you know, mm-hmm. it was much more collaborative. And we had yeah. in those sessions, everyone shared about their work and it just felt so, it was that, it was that feeling of like, so exciting to come together, to yeah. learn from each other, to be inspired by each other and to meet peers who are doing similar work all over the world. Yeah. So yeah. that's for yeah. accessible yoga. That's what we're doing next. This Well, now, 2021, yeah. we're going to really focus on uh, that piece. How can we build in, you know, support yeah. for that community networking that has cool. been lacking? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm really inspired by the idea of the dark, the dark forest at the moment, which mm. is, a, it's, 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 it's slightly, it's, it's slightly dark in all senses, but bear with me on this one. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a theory about how the internet is increasingly working, um, is based on the idea of the dark forest. So if you go into a forest at night, the forest mm. is relatively quiet. And the, uh, the, the, the thing that we have to realize is, is that forest isn't quiet because nothing is moving. It's because it's not safe to make noise. So all of the little prey animals are kind of moving around, but they're moving really quietly because they don't want the mm-hmm. big predators who come out at night to find them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this has been applied to our understandings of the media, that the, the, to kind of online media, is that what we get online is like this in some ways quite aggressive spaces that, that people are moving into. Um, but beneath that, really quietly increasingly what people are doing is finding ways to come together that aren't public and aren't mediated by things like facebook and that's the dark forest that's the dark forest of the internet um i mean i know in the last you know in the last nine months i've spent um some amazing sessions where i've dropped in i've been invited to come and drop in on people's teacher trainings and things and people have you know brought me in to run sessions uh in various places and it's always it's it's so beautiful and hopeful to feel these communities coming together um, yeah. often from all over the world you know and, and if you're running a like 15 person training in colorado like your chances of getting somebody like me to come are slim to none because i can't afford to do this you know i don't earn enough no. money over under my own steam and you can't afford to kind of pay my airfare right but you can afford to drop me in on the zoom call right yeah. so so there's all of these there's all of these amazing conversations that are happening um, through you know different kinds of platforms uh, that, that that aren't mediated by that kind of public idea of what social media is. And so I would like strongly that would be my current recommendation is come together but off social media. Um, yeah, come together on forums yeah. and um, like you say, virtual conferences and networking and Zoom sessions and, and things like that with the proviso that we all probably need to spend a lot more time away from our screens <laughs> mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> the other thing I'm doing, and I don't know if you're doing the same, because I know I'm, my friends are all doing it, is going for a lot of walks. Oh, with, yeah. A lot of oh, walks yeah. with friends, right? Like, I, like yeah. that's, my, that's my social structure now. And I, I, like, is, is to once a week or once every couple of weeks is to find a friend I haven't seen in a few months and, and meet up and, and just go for a walk with the dog, really. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I walk every day and garden. Yeah. That's my. So when you talked yeah, about the dark yeah. forest, I thought you were going to talk about actually the forest, but you did. So, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that analogy. Yeah, um, and what about you? I know, are you working on another book already? Is that? <laughs> oh, oh, it's been, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a tough, it was a tough year. 2020 was a tough year for me and, and, and for, for a lot of people. I'm, I'm not unusual in that, but I have, I, I'm open about the fact that my own neurodiversity and, and a kind of particular flavor of complex trauma um, has meant that the pandemic early on in particular was very difficult for me. And I had a lot of, um, new self-care things to put in place which are which which are great but it's meant it's been very difficult for me to think about big new projects um and particularly because the next book that i want to birth is really the one that says that does what you what you're pulling out of this book that kind of like well what does this actually mean like what does this look like in practice yeah. um how do i do this is it so i want to write the the, the the book for yoga teachers that, that helps people figure that out um, and that's felt like a really crazy thing to write now. Like, it, like if I'd have written, for example, if I'd have written it and finished it six months ago, it would have been massively out of date, right? Like, mm, it was, yeah. Because it would have had nothing to do with with COVID and working online and Zoom fatigue and things like that. Um, yeah. So, so that is the book that is going to come, and it's going to come at some point. But there are kind of other things I'm doing at the moment. Um, you know, I'm uh, a lot of, like I say, a fair amount of kind of teacher training, dropping in with lots of communities uh, and doing that kind of thing. Um, and the work with SOAS, which is great fun. I get to uh, essentially uh, spend a couple of days a week um, figuring out how to big up other people's research. That's basically my job, <laughs> to wow. put on events and talks and get amazing people, um, get excited about amazing people giving talks. So. That's, That's kind of amazing. Fun. It's amazing what you're doing. Yeah. Anyway, I, I really appreciate this. I, I appreciate your time and um, and this, sharing this book with us, even though I realize this is quite academic. Yeah. So people should be warned a little bit before they get it, like yeah, the do. intensity, but it's still incredibly valuable. And I think it, in, a, in, a, in a way more so, because I think, like I mentioned, it feels like it's really elevating this whole world mm -hmm. of yoga, you know, that I feel like Talk about dark forest. I feel like that's what we've been doing with, um, you know, our yeah. community yoga is like underground oh, yeah. teaching, yeah. you know, behind yeah. the scenes. No one knows what we're up to. Um, yeah. It was kind of fun, but it's kind of great to see it lifted up and someone researching it. So, wow. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. I hope it's helpful. And I hope that also you like you can just read the fun bits, but you don't have to read the whole book. <laughs> you yeah. can read the kind of this descriptive there is a you know, there's a fair amount of like fun descriptive stuff if you want to kind of read about uh, British hippies hanging out in the fields doing fun things. <laughs> there's a lot of that as well. But also I, I just there's some there's another message in it though, I just want to maybe end with, which is like to mm -hmm. me there's you by focusing on these individual practitioners, it feels like you're elevating um everyday people you know who are yoga yes. practitioners i mean they're special i'm sure each of them in many ways but i would say it makes me think that for your reader like each of us can reflect on our practice and um, yeah what, what we are yeah i think that's really important because you know people have asked me like how did i choose those six people and, and you know they're all they're all they're all great teachers uh, in their own way but it, it, it's not it's not a recommendation it's not like i'm like these are the six best yoga teachers in the world that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is 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 that each one of these people is very different and each together they tell us something about how yoga teaching works and like we're all part of the picture right and there's this beautiful phrase and i'm gonna annoy myself by forgetting where exactly where it comes from but it is that communities produce knowledge mm -hmm. individuals don't so each one mm -hmm. of us has something to add to that picture of what yoga is um, and each one of us has something to share and i think sometimes the pushback on this work on this research is because people people mistake this for setting up another hierarchy like, yeah. <laughs> it's not what it's about it's about celebrating each of those stories and I, I was really steered well on that right from the beginning because the my uh, I was told I didn't need to get something that was the pinnacle. What I needed to get was some was data that was interesting. Mm -hmm. It's like if you have data that is interesting, and particularly data that doesn't make sense, you will get something mm -hmm. valuable out of it. So yeah. follow what doesn't make sense and follow what's mm -hmm. fascinating. Wow. 
it's so amazing really what you're doing it's just in incredible so thank you. thank you so much and um and i will put a link um but can people find you these days? Uh, yeah, I mean, the easy thing is my, my darling husband's put together a, a, a little web page on postlineage.yoga, which like has all the okay. links to the book related stuff. But also you can like, if you want to connect to me, um, I think I am the only Theo Wildcroft uh, kind of pretty much out there. So you can find me on all of those <laughs> platforms that I've, that I've spent 20 minutes rubbishing um, as a way of staying in touch. Like, um, and I do a lot, you know, I, I like I said, I, I, I do drop into various TTs and things like that. So you can find me on things or, you know, I'm, I, I'm happy to take, I'm, I'm happy to consider more options for that sort of thing. And when I'm not right. there, I'm, I'm, I'm out, like you say, out in the hills walking the dog. So <laughs> it's, it's, honestly, it's 90% of my yoga at the moment is, awesome. is a rescue greyhound. <laughs> That's amazing. The best kind of yoga. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Theo. Thanks so much for your time and for this incredible book. I really appreciate it. Take care. Okay. Thank okay, you. Thanks for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I'm thrilled to announce our newest offering at the Accessible Yoga School, Retreat to Spirit Mentorship, connecting your yoga business to service with Pamela Stokes Eggleston and Amina Naru. Most yoga practitioners and professionals tell us that they get really little training in business or leadership, communications, marketing, stuff like that. And if you've left trainings and workshops feeling unsupported and unsure of what to do next, you're definitely not alone. Uh, usually it's just simply a lack of support and information about how to serve your students in a safe, equitable, and compassionate way. And usually the connection between spiritual education and entrepreneurship hasn't really been fully explored within other wellness mentorship programs, but we're trying to shift the paradigm here. And mentorship, we feel, is the answer. This is a three-month mentorship program that's project-based, which means you'll start by clarifying a focus for our time together. For example, this could be a relaunch of your yoga studio, starting a series of online workshops, building an online community, or launching your very first offering as a teacher. Over the course of the three months together, you'll get a chance to build on that vision and formulate a plan to make it a reality. And unlike most mentoring programs, we're really interested in looking at how your work as a yoga or wellness practitioner can be expanded into a form of service, heart-centered service to humanity. And we really believe that through a clear understanding of business, community building, marketing, communications, we'll be able to support you in expanding your teaching and offerings while also sustaining self-care and filling your own heart. So we're really excited to offer this with Pam and Amina facilitating. They're just amazing leaders and teachers in yoga, and we are thrilled to be able to offer this at the school. Um, the waitlist is forming now. Course is going to start April 1st. It runs April, May, and June with weekly calls for support, monthly intensives on each topic, interviews with guest experts, and a lot more. Registration opens March 23rd. We want to make sure that you're the first to know when we open enrollment. So get on the wait list at AccessibleYogaTraining.com and we hope we'll see you at the Retreat to Spirit Mentorship. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and if you have a question you'd like us to answer or a topic you'd like us to explore, make sure you visit AccessibleYogaTraining.com slash podcast for lots more. Thanks. See you next week.